the process is just so accelerated. And it's even more complicated now because and the NCAA has basically opened a free agency really from these kids, which I, I, is problematic to me. That was Dave Adamonis of the U.S. Challenge Cup. He's today's guest on the On Course podcast. Welcome to On Course, the New England Golf Journal podcast. I am one of your hosts, the editor of the website and print magazine, Sean Muley, and I'm joined by our feature writer extraordinaire, Jim McCabe. Jim, episode two. Episode two. They brought us back. Veterans. Sophomores. <laughs> yep. We, we, we passed with fine colors, so they had us back. And we have Dave Adamonis on today, who is the U.S. Challenge Cup um, what would you call him? He's the president. He's the, uh, he, the showrunner. Well, he, he's he everything. Is, he's everything. He's everything. He's everything. As I'll only say, one of my good friends in the New England golf club, club pro business. He's a club pro, and he knows his golf, and his son's involved. They look at me and goes, this thing is unbelievable. Yeah. It is so good, and I, I, I can't say enough about the job Dave does. And he, he felt like a really good second guest to have on because junior golf is kind of at the forefront of, of mm-hmm. what we want no to talk question. about, what we want to bring to our readers and our listeners. No question. And I would encourage people to go back and listen to Matt Parziali talk about his time at the Masters in our first episode as well. Um, but kind of on the junior golf scene, U.S. Challenge Cup is definitely prides itself in getting kids into junior golf competition and, and in kind of dave's mind getting people and kids into college and maybe into the pros but he that's not really the goal for him it's just getting kids competing and recently this this winter the usj announced something that i think has been kind of in the works for a while they are also getting into the junior development kind of camp and building out a national development program Mm -hmm. that they're kind of starting in haste a little bit they're they're gonna start selecting players for for this program but it's something that most sports in the united states has and golf didn't no and i my my initial reaction is i think people their first initial reaction would be why do we need that we we turn out really great players tiger woods didn't need a national program phil mickelson really good players go play the ajga and then colleges know who the best kids well you you think of that, and you look at hockey. They've had a national program for years, and it it seems to really really separate and develop kids to be yeah. professionals at a at a at a more defined clip. Right. And golf didn't have that. I'm fascinated to see how it turns out, and I am I believe we need it as, yep. as a country kind of the wild wild west like how do you how do you get into college well and everyone has a different different thought dave's dave does a wonderful job of throwing perspective on on, put a blanket of perspective all over all the okay you want to play college golf here's a deal and it gets us away from what i thought was a really bad model for years where every every whoa i'm a junior golfer i gotta play the agga and it was such a there's nothing wrong with the JJGA on a national level. It's still it's still a behemoth. It's still good, but it's it's not the only avenue these junior golfers should be playing at. And the national program is gonna really open eyes, I think, in that it 
it puts an option on the table that's pretty pretty flavorful. Yeah, it's. I think it's. Uh, they're going to model it after. There's a, most other countries that have yeah. big golf footprints have one of these programs. You Correct. get kids like Ludwig Aberg, who's Swedish, oh, who is Swedish like right right in it, and yeah. that's that's kind of one of the. I think that was one of their models that they're kind of looking at, and. Uh, the AJGA side, you t- you hear a lot about just the money and the finances that it takes to Crazy. potentially have your your son or daughter play amateur junior golf. Venues aren't as easy to get to as a soccer field down the street, and so people are paying for flights. And if you have a junior golfer, you're paying for probably two flights because you got to have someone go with them, and yeah. then you're you're staying somewhere for two or three days. So the this kind of national program is really aimed at first off, how do we find kids that maybe aren't being found? Because they just they don't know any pathway. They just are very good at golf, right. and so you could get a, a kid at a public course who shows up a bunch and shows some real talent, or is getting lessons, and they can kind of maybe be pushed towards the USGA by a head pro or by someone who's kind of in in that in that world in that area of the country. So it's going to help identify those kids, which I think is really great. It'll maybe diversify the sport a little bit more, and then it, it's, it's also kind of neat. I was reading that. They're going to have three buckets, so they're going to have kind of a junior bucket, an amateur bucket, and a young professional bucket as well. And each one will have, I think by 2027, they want to have a 1,000 people kind of as part of this program. And they'll be national teams, so not ever <laughs> there won't be there won't be 1,000 members on right. the national team. Yeah, they'll gonna... pick from, those, from that group. Who knows if I'm sure it's like any other team or any other group. You might get in at an age, and then you might – you might be told this isn't really for you at some point. Maybe you're 13 when you get in and you're 16 years old and you're not in, you're not kind of getting where they thought you might get. They're also just giving families an opportunity to learn about, like, what what's next? What's the pathway? What's, what is the pathway? Um, you called it the Wild West, and I think they're trying to they're trying to make it less so the wild west right i mean one of the one of the things i've always loved about golf and i still the other sports are subjective why do you get cut from that team well, <laughs> right look you know what why you better well the coach didn't think i was as golf is pretty simple yep and when you think about it i mean there were really good programs in this country the really solid programs division one men's and women where a lot of them still have. Okay, you're the you, you're the seventh player last week. Didn't make the traveling squad. Go out and shoot a shoot, a, and all of a sudden that fifth or sixth player, you you beat them out. And what's the deciding factor? It's simple. It's a number. Yep. Sixty six is better than sixty nine. Yep. Sixty nine is better than seventy three. <laughs> and it's a it's it's a it's kind of a cruel world, and but yep. it's a cold world. But it's a shock, a reality where okay. And I think the national program is gonna. It's gonna take them a while to get there. Yep. But it's 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 gonna explain to give people okay an understanding of how good the how good the the pool is. The pool is so deep. Yep. So deep with talent. Yep. Yep. And it it it's it, it maybe it's painful, but the reality is okay. You want to play in the big league, the the, the elite level. Let, let's see if you can do it. Yep, and here's and then here's a pathway once you Correct. can that that you're not feeling like you're maybe chasing events around the country because you're being told by a parent on the seventh fairway the week before that you've got to get your kid into this event or you've got to get your kid into this event. Right, or you have to. I mean, it pains me sometimes, and I, I and I've I've heard it and I've talked to people where they mail in their son or daughter's resume to a coach. Yeah, you know what, what have they won? Well. They haven't been in tournaments, and they don't have the wherewithal to be in those tournaments. 
That doesn't mean they're not good. Yep. It means they couldn't get in. Yep. They don't have the wherewithal. Not every family tens of thousands yeah. of dollars to travel the country playing playing golf. And that's for one kid. Maybe you got two kids who yeah. like to play as yeah. well, which we exactly. see a lot in this part of the part of the country too. Yeah. So let's 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 get to another. Let's go. Let's talk to Dave and hear about kind of his junior golf world in the in the Northeast. And we want to again thank you for listening to this. And let's get to Dave Adamonis, the U.S. Challenge Cup Czar. I love it. Coming up next, we talk with Dave Adamonis. Are you serious about playing your sport in college? Do you need a flexible education that allows you to maintain your practice and competition schedules while also preparing you to succeed at the next level? You should check out the University of Nebraska High School. UNHS is accredited and offers more than 100 online courses, including NCAA-approved courses to protect your academic eligibility. Students could earn a UNHS diploma or take a single course for transfer credit. Courses are college prep, self-paced, and available 24-7, 365. Enroll anytime and take up to a year to complete a course. Visit highschool.nebraska.edu today. Looking for all of the latest golf news and information on the competitive golf scene in New England? New England Golf Journal is your source with in-depth coverage on college, prep, high school, recruiting, commits, amateurs, and the pros. To learn more and to receive the weekly New England Golf Journal Insider Newsletter, check out negolfjournal.com to experience our best-in-class golf content on the region's golf scene. And don't forget to subscribe to have our quarterly glossy New England Golf Journal print magazine delivered to your home, club, or office. Just click on the subscribe button and find the subscription that is right for you today. New England Golf Journal is a Siemens Media publication. Siemens Media. Inspiring. Informative. Insightful. All right, I want to welcome in Dave Adamonis to the On Course podcast. Dave, thanks for joining Jim McCabe and myself. Happy to do it. Looking forward to talking about some junior golf, which is part of New England Golf Journal's bread and butter. And you are certainly a big part of that in in this part of in this part of the state in this part of the country. Just just to kind of just jump right in, can you give us the background of the U.S. Challenge Cup and the and the and the whole junior tour and and how it all got started for folks who might not know who you are and what it is? Yeah. So my dad, when, when my, my brother and I were both junior golfers, our careers stem all the way back to the eighties when it comes to junior golf. Um, yeah, there really weren't very many opportunities for kids to play in tournaments. And my dad was really visionary and a pioneer. And he, he, he really dug all the trenches and, and created all the opportunities for, for us and for our organization. And at the time when I was a kid, we had access to play golf at like maybe two o'clock in the afternoon. And, and the game has really accelerated to the point where it's, it's, it's a younger person's game. And, and really my dad's vision was is to kind of level the playing field and to give players of, of all ages, of all race, of all gender, the opportunity to play at the same time and have the same access to participate. And that's really the genesis of the Challenge Cup and where it, where it all began. It started back in 1983. We ran nine-hole tournament. We played, it was a 36-hole event at a nine-hole course. I and mean, it was a high school preview to the Rhode Island Scholastic League season. 
And that was our first event. And a good friend of mine, Chris, who's currently battling cancer, is he won the first event as a freshman. You know, we were freshmen that year when he ran the event. A speed ahead to 2023. This is year 41 of us running tournaments. And now we're running close to 40 tournaments. And we really, really kind of hit all of the zip codes as far as golf goes. We're primarily a junior organization, but, you know, we run a few amateur tournaments and even a couple events that have professionals play. And I refer to, our, refer to our organization as Challenge Cup Nation because we really stay in touch with all of our players, not just as junior golfers. We continue to still have those relationships with them as amateur players and professionals. And I mean, most of them are going to become working stiffs. And we, our <laughs> ultimate goal is the kids cut their teeth with us and we push them out the door to go and play in some bigger and better things. You run an excellent regional program. I, I, obviously, I'm pretty biased, but I think it's one of the best ones in the whole entire country. And our goal is that these kids get to college and they use golf as a vehicle to go to college. Hopefully, they either get into a college and otherwise might not have been able to get into, or for that matter, they get some sort of financial package and scholarship. And we just had some kids that just verbally committed to places. And for me, as much as I love the competitive piece of it, I, I love the people piece of it even more. And I love to be part of their journey with all these kids and their families. Yeah, I vouch for Dave. I've known Dave for years. His dad was the best. Dave's older. Younger brother is, is wait a minute, Brad, younger or older than you? He's younger. Yeah, yeah younger. Um, plays professionally, has played on the PGA Tour, and is, if you look up the word grinder journeyman in the dictionary, you might see Brad Adamonis's picture. Yeah, he and, made his champion's tour debut. Yeah, um, he's actually champion. Not last week, but the week before, so. <laughs> the thing that, he's, uh, he's hung in there for a long time. The thing that jumps out at me with Dave, he talks about his tour, is what always hits me is I'll be talking to John Curran. I'll be talking to Jake Schumann. I'll be talking to someone who you may, and almost in the Jimmy Renner, and they'll say, they'll talk about the Challenge Cup days. And at some point, it, it's, it occurred to me, I think every one of these kids played somewhere, you know, part of the Challenge Cup. And you got Michael Carboni who's telling me his favorite day of the year is when, what tournament day when all, were they all, the, the, the grads, the alum, Michael Carboni yeah, and them will play. Yeah, this event the called the Fame Cup that brings back our alums to play against current juniors. And that's a really fun day for us to, but so. It's usually humbling for the juniors, believe it or not, because I bring in a pretty stacked team to play against them. But there's <laughs> such a value to playing against our, our former players that are not successful people in life. And that, that's a big part of the picture for me. I'm a, I'm a big circle of life person as far as doing good things for other people, paying it forward, because I, I believe if you live in that circle, then it all just kind of circulates, you know around the horn and it doesn't necessarily come back to just you as a person. You might do something positive for somebody, but you know, in the case of my dad, he had cancer and unfortunately he died of cancer, but he had some of the best care in the world because I was friendly with some people at Mass General and uh, my dad started the program. I never would have known the guys that were at Mass General that helped to facilitate his care if it wasn't for the fact that he started the Challenge Cup. So there's a perfect example of, of what I'm talking about. The glory, uh, Dave and I have had this conversation and uh, over the years, you're, you're a parent. You don't know really about golf and you, all of a sudden your children want to play sports. Well, it's signing up for Little League Baseball, youth soccer, youth hockey, Pup Wana, all that stuff's pretty simple. It's town run and this is, you bring them down, you walk them across the street to the town field. 
your son or daughter wants to play golf and all of a sudden kind of shows an interest and wants to play in tournaments, you don't know what to do. And people, and I start telling people, well, you ought to look into the, yes, you can do look through all these cool organizations and then, or you can go to something called the challenge cup and they look at you like, but, and then they start reading about it and the kids go to it and the kids fall in love with it. Most tournaments have girls and boys and, all of a sudden, these are the kids that become their best friends. It's all, it's, it's not just the kids too. We, uh, we have the parents that come to all these events because oftentimes they're driving an hour, two hours to an event and it's not like a hockey or a basketball timed event. You're spending four and a half, five hours. You spend a lot of quality time with people and a lot of relationships have been forged, not, not just with the kids, but with the parents. I mean, that's the one beauty of the game of golf. You, you spend so much time with people that, you know, you're, you're almost forced to socialize with them during the time that you're out there competing with them. And that's pretty unique in, in what you do. Well, there's, there's, almost, there's no other sport really that, that gives you the opportunity to do that. Is there a, now that you're kind of hitting your, almost your 41st year, are you seeing a gener, are you seeing generations of people who competed in the eighties and nineties who now are showing up with their kids and they're competing as well. Yeah. It's, it's really cool. I mean, like I said, my dad dug all the trenches, but now, nowadays I'd say most of the guys who are club professionals at places, I have a relationship with them because they used to play in our program. And we are starting to see that second generation of kids that's coming through that the kids who played with us there, we've got some of our players that I. I started with the Challenge Cup in 96, and I'm starting to see guys that are in their early 40s right now that they have families and their kids are starting to play and stuff. And it's, it's, it's just a, it's a great thing to be a part of. I really enjoy what I do on a daily basis. I feel very fortunate that I have an opportunity to, to be a part of, of this journey for, for these kids and their families because most of our players aspire to play college golf, and there's, there's a lot that goes into it in order to get where they want it. How much, how much work do you, or how much help do you offer families, right? There's the, there's the idea of showing up, having kids play a golf tournament, write down some scores, sign their card, head home. So how, how do you kind of help families and players start to find a path or a way into the college or whatever kind of end game they might have for, for their experience in the sport? I'm available to our, our team of players. I'm available to Challenge Cup Nation 24-7. I mean, my wife <laughs> sometimes gives me a hard time about it, but there's not a time I won't answer a call. And then this morning, just as an example, qualifier for the U.S. Junior Open today, and you think, oh, well, the window's open until May, I think maybe 30th or somewhere in that, somewhere in May. And, but last year, Massachusetts, their qualifying site, I think in within 24 hours, their qualifying site was closed out. So I was, did an email blast this morning to all of our members. I sent out some other kids that I'm helping out with the college process. I sent a reminder out to them, to their parents. And I said, Hey, listen, I said, obviously it's Massachusetts, but here's the next four other sites that there's a qualifier at putting together a schedule for these kids is it's like putting a puzzle together because there's so many opportunities. I mean, we didn't invent the whale challenge cup. There's other organizations and associations that do terrific things for the kids, the 
every state association does a nice job with their state junior championship, New England Junior Golf, New England Golf Association runs a championship, and uh, you have the PGA sections, which do a terrific job. And then obviously, the American Junior Golf Association is a PGA Tour of Junior Golf. So we really just try to work in concert with all those associations and organizations and and we're really trying to direct kids to say, you know, all right, your goal is is to go to X, Y, or Z school and here's the best path to do that. Here's the tournaments that you should consider playing in and the path that you should choose. So I spend a lot of time, especially during the off season, doing Zoom calls or even meeting with people in person. And it's, it's such an accelerating process right now with the recruiting. When when I first came on board, a, a normal recruiting process was kids would wait until they're, they could, a coach could not interact with a player until they finished their junior year of high school. And then kids actually made official visits that were meaningful official visits and the schools paid for them in the fall of, of their senior year. And kids would go to the four or five visits. And after those four or five visits, they would make a decision. And nowadays kids are, our 2024s, our best players are already wrapped up. I mean, they, they, they're 2024s, right? I mean, so they're not even going to be, they're not even seniors this year. They're juniors and our three best players are really, they're, they're done. They're, they're, they're. They're signed. They're not officially signed, but they've made a verbal commitment to schools, and and the process is just so accelerating. It's even more complicated now because and the NCAA has basically opened a free agency really for these kids, which uh, I, is problematic to me. A kid basically can can jump ship and and go to another school and throw himself in a portal. And I mean, they're essentially a free agent. And I'm a huge PC hockey fan. And yesterday, I found out that seven guys on their hockey team, not the seniors. Setting players on their hockey team actually are in the portal. I mean, and to me, that's just complete chaos. And I think it's extremely difficult for a lot of programs, not necessarily the top tier programs, but a lot of these programs, it's, it's difficult to keep players for in the duration of time that you would expect they'd be there. Dave, when you, when kids come to you and they talk about, Hey, I want to play college golf, what's your, what's your number one go-to advice? I try to be realistic. Most people don't like to hear the truth. I mean, my, my number one goal is, is to find a place where a player is going to be able to play four years and compete. Just to use an example of our unquestionably top player of all time that plays on a professional level, Keegan Bradley, was best friends with John Kern when he was a junior golfer, and they couldn't separate the two of them. The only difference was is Kern was a year younger than him. And Bradley got no looks at all. He was a late bloomer and was more of a skier than a golfer initially. And he moved on here with his dad and he and John were on the same high school team together. And John was, he was a storied junior player. He was a top five player in the country. And Keegan had some immense talent. You could see it, but you know, people weren't recognizing it. And true story. He's at a tournament with Karin, our last tournament of the season. We're playing a pretty tough course, about 7,000 yards long. And this is back in, this is back when the two of them were playing high school golf in the 90s, in the late 90s. And Frank Darby, who's a coach of St. John's, is a good friend of my dad. They're at a tournament together. My dad's coaching Johnson Wells University. And Darby calls me up and goes, you got anybody hanging around? He goes, I got one more spot left. And I give him the background on Bradley. I said, it's unbelievable that nobody's really jumped on this guy. I said, He's, a, he's an immense talent. 
I said, I, sky's the limit for him. I had no idea he's going to win a PGA championship. <laughs> but I'm thinking he's going to be a very serviceable college player. And I said to him, I said, listen, he has great bloodlines. I said, Pat, Pat Rowley's is, is, is on. I'm like, and he says, I'm sold. He goes, he goes, he plays, he played in a tournament you're running today. I said, yeah, he's, and he's, we're at Quidnessa Country Club. And he says, well, what do you, he goes, what's the lake up there? Yeah. It's just like 45, it's drizzling. I said, it's not a great day for golf. And he's like, current and I said, yeah, what can shoot? 70. What would rather shoot? 68. Set up something with him, tell him I'm going to be meeting him this week and offering him a scholarship. Yeah, that, that, that sounds like later. And, and Bradley actually has an opportunity because Karn's going to Vanderbilt to go to Vandy, right? Karn talks to coach and says, this guy's had just an incredible season. At, I'd say John's, he won a tournament as a freshman and basically top 10 and everything. And Bradley calls me and says, yeah, I got an opportunity to go to, to Vandy. And I says, yeah, I don't want to talk to you today. And he says, what do you mean? And I said, let's give it a week and then we can have a conversation. I said, you can process, you know, the reasons that you'd stay at St. John's and you'd go to Mandy and you'd think most kids would be like, there's no processing staying at St. John's, right? I got a chance to go to a top 50 school. And amazingly, three days later, earlier than I told him to call me back, he called me back and I'm like, I want to talk to you. And he says, no, I already made a decision. And you made a decision to stay at St. John's. And the reason that he did was all the reasons that I would have told him. He was he was wise enough to, to know that, hey, first of all, a coach offered me an opportunity, gave me a full scholarship to come to school when nobody else was giving me the opportunity. And he's like, I'm the best player on this team. Every tournament I go to, I feel like I can win. I feel like me learning how to play in the conditions of trying to execute and win a tournament under those conditions is more important than me playing against better players. I mean, and it was, it was amazing that he really understood that. And then I, I used to host a radio show for a few years on, on WEI and he came on a show after he won the PGA championship. And when I said to him, I says, how are we here? He said, and he basically went back to that. He said, at St. John's, he goes, I learned how to win. He goes, I learned how to, to not just to be, he learned how to not be comfortable in that environment. He learned how to thrive and to want to be in that environment. And not every golfer, believe it or not, wants to be in that environment, right? When they get in that environment. They lose control. And he really attributed the fact that he stayed at St. John's. He won 10 times as a college player at St. John's. And he also got a little bit of a chip on his shoulder because he's like, hey, people aren't respecting the fact that I'm winning. And uh, you look at who he is now. And, and, and a lot of it is because he went to a place that he was able to compete and, and he learned how to thrive in that competitive environment. And I, I feel like and he'll tell you if you ever have a chance to talk to him. It was a big part of the process for him. Is is there you mentioned the the speeding up of the of the recruiting process. I've also noticed just on both tours now it that players are winning younger on the PGA tour, on the LPGA tour, and you've got Tom Kim and you've got like Lydia Ko and all these all these players that are do you find as someone who's kind of in the junior golf world that that parents and players are paying attention to that trend is it too far in advance it just feels like the max homas of the world who get a get he worked his way through and there was a process you were just talking about keegan bradley who also you could i mean he won a pga yeah. championship out of nowhere really in his first major but just 
does ever has everything kind of do you feel like everything's been squished down for lack of a better word and 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 that that also oh. has caused the process to speed up i so i feel like for the on the female side of things it's a different ball game i i one of the challenge cup players that you know i have had a long relationship with and still do is Megan Cag and her family. And she obviously decided to turn pro right out of high school. They consulted with me. I think I might've been the only person in New England that agreed with her turning pro and really I recommended and supported it wholeheartedly. It's not something you will probably see me do very often, but it might be a once in a lifetime recommendation, but I, there was it was a sampling of her ability to be successful as a professional because she had qualified for U.S. Open. She'd made a cut in the U.S. Open. She made a cut in a LPGA term. And so that was, and, and I knew what Megan's long-term goal in life was. She clearly wanted to be an LPGA golfer. And it just didn't, to me, I felt like, I know this might sound crazy. I felt like college might offer some obstacles to her improving as a player. Megan knew one thing only. She knew golf. And uh, when you go to college, now all of a sudden you have other responsibilities and mom and dad aren't along for the ride with you. And there's other things that you start having a social life and, and, and doing things that you otherwise wouldn't do and stick to that same routine and regimen. Would she have been successful if she went to college? Absolutely. But the woman's game is different because a woman, they bear children, right? So how long is a woman's career, right? If she wants to have a family and whatnot. So it's a little bit of a different ball game. I, I think there's very few guys that I would say don't go to college and, and, and don't finish college. I think having a brother who's played the game his whole entire life uh, as a professional and getting in, Jim's right, he's a journeyman, and getting a chance to see how that all works. Every kid in Bradley, there's a hundred Brad Adam Otis's or players that don't even end up making it, right? I mean, at least. And so I've gotten a front row seat to see golf at every single level. And I think, I think that's been the unique thing about it for me is, is that I can be a soundboard for guys at every really level from junior golf to collegiate golf to, to professional golf. A lot of these guys who just stop playing as professionals, they lean on both my brother and I for advice because we have insight that they otherwise don't and they trust us too. So well, on the men's side, I, I got to give guys like, like a Michael Fulby Hunson, I got to give him a lot of credit. We finished fourth at, at a Travelers Championship. And I mean, obviously, if you're finishing fourth at an, an, an event of that quality with that type of field, I, I think it'd be pretty easy to jump ship. I remember the day that he he and I met for breakfast and he told me that he was committing to, to Stanford. And in some ways, I, I mean, listen, the value of Stanford education is massive, but he was looking at Stanford. He was also looking at Clemson. And I initially felt like, hey, if you're going to do four years of school, I love Stanford, but if you're just going to play golf, go to Clemson, right? And the reason being is, is I felt like he'd have more time to spend playing golf. And he didn't promise me that he would stay at Stanford for the four full years, but I, I think he's going to. And at the end of the day, I just, for him to have that ability to fall back on that education, I think he's a camp misser. I think Ben James, he's another guy. I'm surprised Liv hasn't backed up the, 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 well, bridge truck to either one of those guys uh, to come on board with them because I feel like those those two guys are going to be future PGA Tour players and they're going to do some damage. The to go back to the, the decision if if you make your mind up you want to play college golf they I know you're a proponent of this and I am too they, okay open up your eyes open up your box and. There's nothing wrong with playing with Division Two golf if that's your level. 
if if, if, yep. if you you can play and i think of robbie oppenheim robbie i mean he he's he went down and he played at a really good golf school. He played in good weather all the time. And for the most part, you got to practice and not keep your, keep your expectations sensible. Jim, for, I always tell families and players that if you want to play professional golf, there is no recipe to, to how that's going to happen. I mean, obviously the better school you go to, the better resources you have, the better competition that there is, but it's, it's just to use Oppenheim as an example, John Vandalin, who's not too far removed from our program, went to Florida Southern and uh, he's had, uh, he's had a card on the Corn Ferry Turf in the last two years, full card. And he recently finished six in Puerto Rico, tied for six in Monday qualified and got into that. He's a prime example. They won a division two national championship. And how does like a division two and division three programs equate to even division one programs? Well, listen, there's 300 division one, roughly 300 division one golf teams, right? There's 200 division twos, about 200 division threes. And then there's even NAIA. My dad ran a super successful program at Johnson and Wales at the NAIA level, which truthfully, when he was there. I mean, he had a team that would have been a top 50 division one team. So there's, there's oftentimes teams that are playing at that division two and three level that are just as good as teams. If they were in division one, they would be top 50, sometimes even top 25 teams, some of those top tier teams. And, and I, I go back to Bradley. I feel like the, the best way to get better at golf is to learn how to be in an environment where you have to execute and try to win tournaments. I, 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 he's not the only guy that you've heard it from. I, I can't remember which guy in a PGA Tour. He won the California State Open like three weeks before he won a PGA Tour event. Yeah. I mean, you just you hear stories like that. And it, it, learning how to be comfortable in that environment it is, is the most important aspect, I think. If you want to be successful as a professional player, learn how to be comfortable in that environment. Actually, to want to be in that environment is is to me, the most important aspect of, of becoming a successful player at that level. For most of our kids, my message to them is take advantage of the education because 99.9% .9 of our kids are going to be working stiffs. And I had, I had a meeting one time with one of our, our players and he had an opportunity to potentially go to Virginia and his dad was really set on him going to an Ivy League school. He had set aside money and he was like, this is where I want my guy to go to school. And she says, can you please tell him that's where he needs to go? And I says, no. I said, but we'll talk about the facts of life. And I sat down with him and told him, I said, listen, I said to the, the young man, I said, I, his name is Nick Cummings. He goes to BC right now. I said, Nick, I said, your dad, I said, is Paranontis. I said, and I'm like, I said, how many golfers in the world, I says, do you know that make over $250,000 playing competitive golf? And at the time, lived didn't exist. So I felt like it was somewhere. It wasn't even a thousand, I felt like. And his dad's a successful person. And I said to his dad, I go, in your occupation, how many, how many, how many people have been what you're doing and making over 250,000? He goes, every single one of them, like, <laughs> and it's hundreds of thousands of people that have his occupation. And I'm just trying to say, listen, this is this pathway. This is what you want to do. It's, 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 it, 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 it's, it's a difficult it, to have a, a career a sustainable career as a professional golfer for 30, 40 years. I mean, it, there's not many guys that do that, half that, you know what yeah. I mean? So 
there's a lot of other ways to have a sustainable, successful life. And obviously that's following an education path or, or really, to be honest with you, whatever it is that you have a passion for. For me, this isn't even really a job, right? It's a challenge job. <laughs> I mean, I, I love every minute of, of what it represents. Speaking of that, you have, here we are in beautiful spring, New England <laughs> weather. Yet when I, when I, at your schedule and just what I look at is, okay, how many kids are signed up and you got a tournament in weather like this, I mean, it's not going to be, even on a nice day, let's face it, it's not nice, relative, nice and relative and late. Looking ugly this weekend. Yet you have 50, 55 boys ready to play. And a couple weeks later, you started the match play tournament. And I looked and you had basically already full boat. All the kids are signed up for. How, yeah. So how, this weekend, how much of these kids want to play? This weekend's an invitational at the Ridge Club, and it's a tournament that Rick Willett, Connor Willett's dad, he really kind of paved the way for us. We miss him every day. He and his family have been great people to us, and, and though it's a little bit of an emotional event for me, you know what I mean, when we go there, just I had such good relationship with the family, and I, I certainly need to mention how good they've been really to us. And but So our first event starts out with this event. It's an invitational, really invites the best kids from previous season to come and play. So field size is actually a set field size. It's not completely open. I think we have about 60, 62 kids that are playing. And then the next weekend, we're low hundreds right now. That's more of an open field event that the kids have signed up for, for the match play event. And if I, if I had to guess, we'll probably be somewhere in the neighborhood of around 120. I mean, there's instances during the season that will, the Gately Cup, we have close to 200 players, but in that event, we actually have a collegiate division and a pro division. And when we run events like that, it's it's a great opportunity for these kids to test the waters against where they're going, which is college golf and against even some professionals. And it's, it's a, it's a great barometer really for college coaches to look and say, okay, so, you know, these kids played from the same course setup as the other guys that played in the collegiate and the professional division. And here's the scores they shot. So in some instances, I feel like those tournaments are, are even greater opportunities for coaches to, to see who players are than, than, than some of the junior tournaments, so just straight up junior tournaments that they play in. So well, that's kind of, well, that's the one thing that I've really thought was an important part of what we do as an organization to stay connected to those past players and, and what they have, the guidance and, and the, the support that they have for the kids, it's exponential. They've been there, they've done that. And Oftentimes, to the kids to hear from somebody outside of their parents is, is really beneficial. Well, the parent could say the same exact thing that I say to a kid or one of these guys that's playing in a group with them. Right. And the right. parent, it's in one ear and out the other. And when they say it to us, they're like, oh, yeah. And then they'll go home and, they, and then they'll say something to the parent along the same lines of what the parents said to them. And they're like, uh, <laughs> like what's going on here? So Word of mouth but, is huge. Uh, like, like I said, I just, just to be a part of that whole process, I, I, I feel like we're one big family out there, even though all these kids are trying to win tournaments and whatnot, when they go to other events, we're always rooting for one another. And we're always hoping that the other guys are going to end up being successful. And that's just, it's really amazing that the relationships that they form out of a lot of this game. It's, 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 it's truly, it's, it's truly a blessing really to, to be a part of it. My my last question just is kind of stepping back, big, big picture. You've been doing this for a really long time. What um, what has changed for you in your mind about junior golf over your, you said you started doing this in 96, but 
just when you step back and look at the kids and the way the game is played, what, what, what has changed for you in your mind? I would almost say what hasn't changed. I mean, there's just so many more opportunities for the kids to play and to, to play. The process really of preparation is so much different than when I, when I was a kid, there was no club fitting. We, the fitness piece, I mean, none of those. Tiger changed everything, but that's really when it started. He changed everything about the game and it just continues to change. And, and, and he really kind of set the bar. And now you look and, and these guys are also limber. They're in such good shape that you, we talk about like why guys have been so successful and girls at, at a younger age. It's because of opportunity. When we were kids, there weren't the opportunities. And now you look at the fields for all these tournaments and it, it's such a younger person's game at, at even at the at the amateur level it's a younger person's game and it's a good thing and, and and there's so many different avenues and so many different organizations and outfits that provide opportunities for kids that didn't exist when i when i was a junior player and it's people like my dad that really that should be applauded for for where we're at right now it's their vision and it's, and, and it's honestly it didn't, it's an acceptance and understanding i think by the golf community so when i say that that means that means that the, the people that, that either own the golf courses or the memberships, the fact that they embrace and support this, we can't do it without them. I mean, there's so many good people. I, it's countless the amount of people that support programs like ours and that they, they really are the ones who, you know, I'm, I'm the person who puts it all together, but without their support, we could never offer what we do to the kids. And I, I can't thank them enough for their support and and the relationships that I have with them. I mean, we're always, as they say, you're only as good as your help or the people that, you know, support you. And we have a great support group. Amen. Yeah. Well, great this, group. Yeah. This is, I would encourage anyone who's got a junior golfer to go check out U.S. Challenge Cup. And if there's any spots left, I, I, I felt your U.S. junior pain when you were talking about deadlines. I had it setting alarms for, for amateur qualifiers where, you know, 9.55, my phone Massachusetts goes off. Massachusetts, forget I, about it. I the, mean, the Mass Am, it was gone in two days. I was on at 10 o'clock and pressing refresh, just trying to beat the crowd. It's amazing how much the game has grown. And I think you're a big reason why. So, so thanks for- My, my, my wife likes to say you snooze, you lose when it comes to the registration <laughs> <Bingo>. process. <laughs> yep. Well, you're, you're a big reason why that the game is, is, is growing and, and popular for, uh, for juniors and then for people when they're and they've kind of graduated out of the junior out of the challenge cup. So appreciate all of your your time and energy into this uh, noble cause and getting kids into college and and uh, playing a game for life. So thanks, Dave, for uh, joining on course. And uh, we'll happy to do it. Yep. Thanks. Thanks, David. Right, take care, guys. Take, take care. care. Now it's time for another installment of Golf Course Confidential. I picked out Cape Ann this week, Jim, which you told me before we hit record here that you have never played Cape Ann. I have not. And you I claimed have. you're a... Well, I'm a South Shore guy. I don't go over the bridge too often unless I'm heading to the mountains. But I do know from my years of covering golf and some of the people, the late, great Dick Haskell used to rave about Cape Ann. Yep. I know my North Shore friends mm -hmm. love it. Yep. And I hear nothing but great things about it. Yep. John Updike also was a was yes, a regular was. up there, even though he had a membership at Myopia, Myopia. Hunt. He yeah. he often liked to head over to Cape Ann, which is in Essex, Mass. It's a nine-hole golf course. It costs $32 to play nine, 45 to play 
18. It measures out at 5,400 yards from the tips, okay. if you want to. So it's short. I went and played it last summer. It was firm and fast and just like a really, really cool little golf course. The first three holes are, I wouldn't call them throwaways, but they kind of get you to the marsh. And then you play the fourth hole, you're up up high, and you play down. It was probably one of my favorite holes that I played last year. The marsh is running all along the left. The land kind of flows that way, so if you hit a little too far left, the ball just especially when it's no. firm and fast, the ball just trouble on the Trouble on the left is good. <laughs> Speak for yourself. I I'm draw a, the ball. I'm afraid, yeah. And then you just kind of get into these really cool holes that all run kind of around the marsh. And then it has, I might call this the hardest par three in the state that no one knows about. It's a 250-yard really? from the tips if you really want to go way back. It seems like it's always, people have told me it's always playing into the wind. And the green is, is like, the size of the top of a Volkswagen it is <laughs> tiny and you're you're so you're hitting a three wood or some sort of long iron even if you mm. want to play up a little bit but the view there you stand on that green and it's just you're all you're looking out on on the marsh you I want think, to play it twice it's I a really cool nine hole a beautiful short par four <laughs> which that's is what cool, a lot of people would which say which is cool which or is an cool. easy par five yeah yeah <laughs> yeah so Cape Ann is is just one of those places that I, I had never played before I played it last summer and I went up with a couple buddies and we were all just kind of in awe it's uh, it's super simple I know we talked about Bass River last last episode and just the simplicity of a clubhouse you go in the pro shop is tiny you pay there's a good little bar in the back if you want to if you want to get a drink before after during your round yeah. just a really good good vibe in there well, it, it sounds like I haven't been there, but like we said about Bass River, I, if you're going to go to a place like that, you want to feel like, okay, this is what I want. Yep. I want simplicity. I want I want to see people out here playing muni golf, public golf. Yep. Because it's still, it's still the heart and soul of the game in this country. Yep. I mean, I forget what the number is, but... It's crazy high, 75, 80% of the people who play golf play at munis, play at Publix. And we can't, you don't want to lose that charm to the yep. game. Yep. You don't. Yep, and it's no frills, right? There's a tiny little putting green. There's no driving range. Need. The first couple yeah. holes kind of, I like golf courses when there's no range that you get to the first hole and you're like, okay, well, this is kind of the driving range. This is yeah. my place. I can hit a driver and be 50 yards right or left. Right. And give give me a little bit of room to yeah, spray it. Yeah, and then the second hole feels a little bit the same, and, and then you're and then you're kind of off and running. I, I will I, One warning I would put out to people is the North Shore, and Crane Beach in particular, is very well known in July for their greenheads. Yeah, and so they are some nasty flies that, yeah. that can make any sort of experience up on the North Shore in that area tough. So if, you're, if you want to go play Cape Ann and check it out, just... I think you can go on the on the uh, Crane Beach gives a, like a daily report of how bad really? the flies are for people. So if you could just go on that website and look, you you'd have a pretty good sense of what it's going to be like at Cape Ann because it, it can be it can be pretty it can be pretty nasty. But if you go in early spring or early fall, kind of August time, um, you you would avoid them. But July yeah. is like the sweet spot where it gets it gets well. It, they're it, it they're smart insects. They're, well, yes, that's where you want to be in July. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And then. I think the last thing I would say I, when I, I, I was rehashing my day up there with, with my friend who joined me and driving to the North Shore from I live in, in Boston, like it, it, it can take a while 
just like getting to the South sure. Shore from Boston. As yes, you, it can. The traffic can be bad. So we kind of made a day of it. We went up, and I think I said last week I, we, I played an extra 18 holes. Sometimes you don't have time to play another round of golf. But we went to Woodman's in Essex and got some fried seafood beforehand yeah. and kind of checked out the, the main street in Essex. And my friend said it felt like we were on this like little quick mini vacation to the North Shore. We were eating eating fried sea, having a Corona outside, right. and then and then hopped in the car three minutes, and we're we're playing eighteen holes at sunset. Yeah. And I, I I will say, I mean, it's not like I don't go. I I, I have, <laughs> I, I have my, when my but I do know when I leave my house, and I live in Milton, and when I leave my house, if I am going up that way, I treat it like that. Okay, I'm here for, and we're going to have lunch, and you get your fried clams up in the Essex area, Manchester, and you make it a day. Yep. Even, even going to Salem Country Club, I've, yep. I've played there a few times. It doesn't sound like that's going that far. Well, it's it's north north yep. of boston and yep. yeah i mean there is no rhyme i mean i'm not going to live long enough to figure out the traffic <laughs> the traffic of this area all i know is i allow myself like extra hours is uh, and if you're early and you beat the traffic there's always a dunkin donuts always something to do right absolutely yeah. so i would recommend this summer check the greenheads but go play cape ann it is a great nine hole course take two spins around it play in the evening play in the morning it is another really true true kind of public municipal golf course on the North Shore. And uh, Jim, thanks for joining oh, my today. That was Love fun with, with Dave and talking junior golf and, and what's what's in store for the next generation of golfers. Thanks for listening to On Course, the New England Golf Journal podcast. Make sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast on your preferred platform. Thanks to Dave Yaz for producing today's podcast. The Encore's podcast is a Siemens Media production.